This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager. Joining me, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And uh, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we have entered into a time of uh, going through the book of Judges. We acknowledged up front we're not going to have time to do every single judge, but we've been trying to, to choose ones that we thought were prominent uh we had to let poor shamgar go he (laughs) he only had a verse so we had to let shamgar go um but uh, last week was deborah the week before that was uh, othniel and ehud so if you if you want to go back and listen to those that'd be great we'd love to have you get caught up but this week we're coming to the story of the judge named gideon gideon of course you know i think as the judges go sam i think that gideon is probably one of the famous names everybody knows samson i think a lot of people know deborah you know Mm -hmm. othniel and ehud bible geeks knew but i think gideon is a name that will people will recognize because of the if nothing else the gideon bible society and all those gideon bibles that are in hotel rooms yeah that's true um and gideon has it's, it's kind of this fun war story that's you know, we would talk about like a David and Goliath. He's, you know, comes with this tremendous underdog story going up against this massive army that God faithfully leads him through. And, you know, the human heart loves those stories. We naturally identify and instinctively pull for the underdog because, I mean, let's face it, when we're being honest, we can, we relate to the underdog. We feel instinctively a lot of times like we don't measure up. And so when the one who's not supposed to win, wins we love those stories and that's certainly part of the story of gideon we love an underdog story and we love a comeback story too which is the bible is full of second chances too i mean the book of judges is filled with comeback story after comeback story after comeback story and they keep denying the lord and kind of running away from him and the lord chases israel down again and again and continues to show kindness which is an encouragement to us when yeah. we do that, yeah. for sure. Let's uh, let's set the stage here, which is at the of course at the end of chapter five in Book of Judges, where uh, we finish with the song of Deborah. The last phrase was, "And the land had rest for forty years." Mm-hmm. And then, stepping forward, just one tiny period punctuation mark <laughs> to chapter six, verse one, we start once again with the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So, once again, Sam, they have refused to learn their lesson. Yeah, it's, um, it's, this book is nothing if not predictable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're going to have peace. For, you know, like the time, and then they do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And I mean, you can predict where this is going. Yep. You know, the cycle that we talked about from the very first episode of Judges is this kind of six-part pattern. They do evil in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord raises up, you know, some some force that's going to oppress them. They cry out for a deliverer. God brings about a deliverer and restores them. And then they have rest or peace for an extended period of time. And then they're going to do evil in the eyes of the Lord again. And I mean, every story it, be- it, <laughs> it begins, begins the same way. Same way. Yeah. And you know, if we if we we may not have armies coming up against us, and so the way that we you know take a story of a Gideon, we may not have the Midianites 
coming against us, but we may have, you know, struggles with addiction or some besetting sin, you know, and every time it comes, it's, it's going to make us slaves is the idea. It's going to yeah. oppress us, and we've got to cry out for deliverance, um, and our deliverer is always the same. You right. know, God uses different people um, to help us, but ultimately it's Christ who delivers us. And it does so that the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. The hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So they, mm-hmm. the people of Israel became cave dwellers to hide from the Midianites, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of interesting. I just forget how much mountainous terrain there is over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know you've talked about it, you know, having been to Israel a few times, um, but it is quite mountainous in certain areas. Yeah, so Israel, it, it's a small piece of land, but you, it has tons of different types of terrain. You know, it's got flat desert. Uh, you go down into the area where Judea is, that wilderness, it gets very mountainous, very dry. You go up to the north and it becomes almost, it feels Edenic, where it starts getting mountainous, but there's streams and, and rivers and everything gets green and beautiful and lush. And this is going to be the area where Gideon would have been, which is up in the north. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's tons of mountains. One of the things that's really surprising is that you have cave systems all over Israel. Um, you know, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you've ever heard that term. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were found in caves where the Essenes and people like that in the first century dwelled in these caves to kind of get away from humanity. <laughs> you know, huh. you know and, and so they did it in the first century. So you had these networks of caves and places where you could hide out that are all over Israel. But the idea is they're hiding. They yeah. live in real terror um, and fear of the Midianites. And so they're everybody's in hiding. We've talked about some of the other people that came up against it, like we talked about the Assyrians and how bad the Assyrians were. And this time it's the Midianites. And mm-hmm. the story here is is kind of tough, too. I mean, they say, I don't want to say, it's a lot of verses to read through, but essentially every time Israel planted crops or or had, uh, you know, an area that was producing food for them, the Midianites would show up and just like, it says like locusts clear the land they take everything from them and leave it in total waste so these Mm -hmm. guys were were pretty tough i mean uh when it says in verse six that israel was bought was brought very low because of midian i think that's right i mean (laughs) they were in (laughs) hiding and every time that they you know just this is why they couldn't have nice things sam they did evil (laughs) in the sight of the lord and they couldn't have nice Uh, things i use that line with my kids all the time this is why we can't have nice things (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so they will love this line. I had a buddy of mine who is a wonderful guy who did foreign mission trips into Sudan, which is a very dangerous place, especially when he was going. And one of the things that they would do is they would build these, you know, places where they could have oil presses to, to like deal with sunflowers so that they could make a living. And they built radio towers and water purification plants and stuff like that. They're super simple technology. And they would build these things, and by the time they would go the next year, almost without fail, the tribes or the people from the north, who were largely Muslim, would come down 
and wipe out the village. You know, they would they would slaughter men in there. This is when genocide was really, really, really bad there. But they would destroy everything they built so that they could not advance. And so then the next year they would have to go back and rebuild all the stuff that they had done before. But it was just totally demoralizing to a lot of people. Um, and you start beginning to ask the question, why bother? Why, why bother rebuilding mm-hmm. um, except for faithfulness to the Lord? Mm-hmm. And so I always think of that story when I come to this passage uh, with the Midianites because it's – imagine like you just keep doing this and you keep working along and every time you think you've accomplished something, you know, this force comes and makes it all ruin. And, mm-hmm. I mean, you can personalize that in your life. I mean, how many times does does – this world, the broken nature of the world, take something that you've labored so hard to produce and bring it to nothing. And you're like, you know, why bother? Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of where Israel is in this time. Yeah. You know, their, their sin, having been handed over to the Midianites, is causing all of their works to be utterly fruitless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says actually the uh, the phrase uh, was brought very low. The actual literal translation of that in from the Hebrew is is that Israel was made small, hmm. and I think that that's as a word as a word picture. Why I mean, I know why the ESV had to change that because what does "made small" mean? But you and I know what that means. It's sure. like they're um, that in their own eyes, I think mm-hmm. they became insignificant, humbled, humbled, yeah. very much so. So it says, and the people of the Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And when they did so, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And this is what he says to them. In verse 8, he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Two things occurred to me when I read over that as we're, as I, we're preparing for this. Uh, first thing is, we talked about this last week or week before. We've talked about it recently, which is the deliverance, the exodus from Egypt was such a tent peg, such a, mm-hmm. a, a flag planted. Like Israel was constantly looking back to that and being told to look back to that. The application to us today, I think, is that God is saying, I have delivered you in the past. I've done this for you already. I want you to look back on what I've already done for you and take heart from that, you know? It's like mm-hmm. God has been faithful and he wants us to, to, to recognize his faithfulness and then the bottom line, though, is that they've not obeyed his voice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and what we're going to see here in a moment is they've, in this short window, after Deborah, they've utterly walked away from the Lord. And it's not just a small problem. Like, they are headlong into idolatry, worshiping other gods. Um, and so the Lord is coming and saying, stop, like, you're 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 fearing those gods rather than me. Yeah, is essentially what he's saying here. And what has it gotten you? You know, and I think that's the question. You know, that to try to bring this into modern context. You know, we do the same thing. We we allow all these different slaveries that we have bring our life to fruitlessness and misery, where you know it's overrun by anxiety and fear and everything else. And God tends to be our last resort rather than our first option, you know, 
we, we allow our lives to kind of fall apart into these places where it's like, okay, finally, God, I need you. You know, we wait for it to become that crisis moment. Um, and that's what they've done here. And so, like, when you're reading these passages, like, we can totally relate to this because we're, we are stupid creatures just like they were, you know, mm-hmm. where we think, you know what? I, I, I I'm, I'm going to follow this. I'm going to chase after this idol and see where it takes me. And inevitably, same spot mm-hmm. where we're like, okay, th- I don't like this. Lord, I need you. <laughs> I think it's interesting that uh, verse 11, which takes us into the action part, the place where Gideon is called, starts off with an interesting phrase to me. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth, that's a tree, mm-hmm. at uh, Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Not a very auspicious place for uh for Gideon to be hiding. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. clears throat> now, normally, though, wheat was, uh, you know, that was kind of like they, they had what they called threshing floors back in those days where mm-hmm. they would take wheat in and they would, as correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they would, it was like a system of like they would toss it almost mm-hmm. into the air a little bit so that the chaff, the parts that's not grain would be blown away. And because of this, the threshing floors and the buildings that were open so that wind yeah. could go through. You'd preferably want to be on the top of a hill. So like where the temple is built, that was a threshing floor. Uh-huh. And you'd go to the highest spot where the winds are going to be the strongest with the least obstruction. And you can imagine a guy with a pitchfork digging into the wheat and throwing it up into the air. And the chaff was light enough to where the wind would blow it away. But the the substantial wheat would come mm-hmm. back down. So what that tells us here, because Gideon was doing this in a wine press, which would which would have been an enclosed area, you know, that's where they put grapes to be crushed for making mm-hmm. wine. Okay, so I take from that that Gideon was hiding. Would you agree? <laughs> Oh, there's no question. Yeah. I mean, you just kind of imagine this wine press, and then all of a sudden you're seeing wheat fly up out of the top of the walls, you know. (laughs) You know, Gideon is totally hiding here. Uh I mean, absolutely. And then we have the angel of the Lord appears to him and says an interesting thing to a man who's hiding in a wine press, throwing wheat into the air. The angel of the Lord says to Gideon, the Lord is with you. Oh, mighty man of valor. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, you know, you think about that, you know, when we find ourselves in in difficult straits and we feel small, okay, like Israel did, we feel small about ourselves. We feel insignificant. When God comes to us and speaks to us, he speaks his truth to us. God is telling us what we are in him, what we can be in mm-hmm. him. It's not that he doesn't see the reality of our current situation. But one of the things that I see all the time in Scripture is that God speaks to really what he's going to make of us. You know, it's like he speaks to our potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just imagine like the angel of the Lord coming to Gideon and saying, mighty man of valor, and Gideon, <laughs> who's hiding in a wine press, kind of looking over his shoulder going, who, me? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's true. He asks the question that I think you and I would ask, right? Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? 
But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. That is such a painfully Mm. honest response from Gideon, isn't it? I mean, he's talking to somebody here that I'm just going to, you know, he does say my Lord, which doesn't necessarily mean he recognizes him as being angelic because my Lord is just a, that's just a phrase they could have used. Like I'm talking to another person who deserves some respect, but it's also possible that there was something about the angel of the Lord that Gideon knew that he was kind of talking back to God in this moment. And I love the unvarnished truth of it because to tell the truth, there are times when you are like, God, if you are here, if you are, if you love me, why am I going through all this? Mm -hmm. And I love the, the heart's cry of that, man. It's so raw and honest. Yeah. And I, I, one of the things that I noticed about this is coming out of Deborah. If you remember right at the beginning, when it introduces Deborah, she's sitting under a tree yeah. And so here you have the angel of the Lord who's sitting under a tree and he's going to he's going to call on Gideon, "Hey Gideon, I want you to step up. I, you know, I'm going to be faithful to my country, but I'm going to do it by using you. So I need you to, you know, get up and go do this." And Gideon's response is basically, "I'm not going unless you come with me," <laughs> you know. And that that echoes, remember Deborah and Barak where Deborah says to Barak, "Go." And Barack says, I'm not going unless you come with me. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of an echo going on here. Barack doesn't want to go because he knows the Lord is with Deborah, and he wants Deborah to come along. Now there's no intermediary. It's the Lord who is talking to Gideon. Um, you know, and the angel, when it says the angel of the Lord, we talked about this in previous podcast episodes, but that's the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you'll notice that in verse 14, it, it just, it says, and the Lord turned to him and said, so this is the Lord. This is God himself. That expression, angel of the Lord, is just another way of saying the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, the, where it says, and the Lord in verse 14, that actually is what, that's, that's the Yahweh. That's the yeah. actual covenant name of God. Correct. So it is the the scriptures are the the text there is identifying that this is in God Himself. This is Jesus in you know in pre incarnate form. Mm-hmm. It says the Lord turned to him and said, "Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you?" Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, that yeah. is the key question, and that's that's convicting here because you know, like you said, we're quick to say, "Hey, if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened to us?" And in in some sense, his answer to Gideon is. I need someone to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll do the same thing with Isaiah. And Isaiah says, Lord, send me. You know, so the Lord chooses to carry out the story of salvation. There's no doubt that he's sovereign, that he's entitled to all the glory, that he wins the battles. But he calls on to use us. He calls us to use us in this story that he might work through us. And so Gideon's like, where were you? And the Lord is essentially saying, well, I've been waiting on you. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think it is interesting that, uh, that the Lord has chosen to work through his people the way that he has. I mean, mm-hmm. I, there's, there is no question. I mean, he's God, right? He can do anything he wants. He can do it any way that he wants. And the fact that he's chosen to work through us, I think, is one of those things that when you make up the list of things that one of these days I really want to ask God, that's one of them, which is, Lord, why did you choose to do it this way? You know, it's like you could have, you could have done it perfectly instead of working through imperfect vessels. And yet you chose to work through us. And man, we made a hash of it a lot of times. <laughs> um, 
but it leaves no question as to who the glory belongs to. And that you know? may be the answer ultimately, which is when we get it right, there's no question that it was God that did it through us. Because if we did it ourselves in our own strength and with our own wisdom, we would just continue yeah. to make a hash of it. And, and when you see the Lord's battle strategy that's going to unfold in this story, that's totally the reason. It's like, no, no, no. I don't want you to have any appearance of strength. I want there to be no room for question that this victory came from me, but I'm going to use you to do it, Gideon. Yeah, and that's what Gideon says. He says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So weakest clan in the tribe, least in his father's house. The Lord has come to the runt of the litter, which is how many times has that happened? You know, that I, I just dawned on me that that's such an echo of you know when it when it talks about the savior coming you know here's david who's the least of his family and he's from bethlehem which is the least of the clans of the tribe of judah and through this jesus is going to come so there's even in the story of jesus you know here you have coming through the line of david who's the least of his brothers through the city of bethlehem which is the least of the clans of judah you know god is going to bring about this mighty redemptive savior mm-hmm. And he's setting a pattern here. God mm-hmm. works through the weak. He does. I mean, it goes to what Paul writes about God choosing the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It's like mm-hmm. that's just – that's again, that goes to it's God's pleasure to take the smallest and the least and the weakest and do the greatest things through them because that shows that he gets all the glory. Yeah, and so if you're, if you're listening to this and you think to yourself, well, it's a shame that I'm not weak – you have not gotten the gospel. <laughs> you are weaker than you know. Yeah. You are more foolish than you know. You are in need a lot more than you know. And so this isn't saying, hey, I'm excluding people. If they're not weak, I can't use them. What the Lord wants us to see is we are all weak mm-hmm. and all usable if we'll surrender. You know, and it's interesting, we're going to get into a series uh, in a little while, uh, not, I mean, like, in in a few weeks, uh, on the subject of the book of First Kings, and, um, you know, you start thinking about Israel and their desire to have a king after this time of the judges, mm-hmm. and they chose Saul as their first king because he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He, w- mm-hmm. he was the guy that looked kingly. And yet the greater king was the one that came after him, was David, who was the runt of the litter again. And there's like, you know, when you leave it to men, men look around and see the tall guy that's all buff with the pecs and the the muscles and the the long flowing hair and the steely jaw. And you go, that's the guy that I want to be my leader. And God says, no, no, no. What you want is you want the little guy in the back who says, I can't do it. And I'm going to lean entirely on God. And it doesn't necessarily have to be his physical stature, but it's just the person who says, mm-hmm. I have to lean completely on the Lord in order to get through this. Yep. And when God chooses, when he rebukes Saul, so Saul, the first king, is going to fall. And when God comes to him to announce the fact that you know his glory is being pulled and his anointing is being pulled from Saul, God's complaint to Saul is, you used to be small in your own eyes. In other words, when you started... You were ready, but then you became the sum of all things in your own eyes. You became proud, and then your ability to lead was destroyed. Mm, that is, that's good. Yeah, that's good. You know, we need to be. That's true. We need to be small in our own eyes. Yeah. Um, so the Lord's response to Gideon when Gideon says, "I'm the least," is to say, "But I will be with you." 
and mm-hmm. you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, this is Gideon talking to the Lord now, he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign, and of course this will continue on, and show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he, the Lord, now said to him, I will stay till you return I think what's going on here when he says, don't go anywhere, (laughs) you know, he runs and he goats and gets the young goat and the unleavened cakes. And it's kind of like he wants this Elijah moment, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, like Mm -hmm. consume this offering if you are the real God. And so he's going to do that, put him on a rock. And he's like, okay, if you're the real God, then I want fire to come down and consume these offerings, which when when you jump to verse 21, that's exactly what happens. Well, and in verse 20, to echo it even further, Sam, it says that the angel of God said to him, put the meat and the unleavened cakes on the rock and pour the broth over them. Like, make it all wet. Remember, like Elijah did. So this is totally looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, okay, just douse all that stuff. Make it wet so it can't burn. Mm Mm-hmm. Then it says the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock, which is the last place you would expect to see fire springing up from (laughs) and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. So once again, the Lord proves that he knows how to make an entrance and an exit. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. So that was obviously the sign that the Gideon was looking for, because in verse 22, it says, then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon, Gideon now says, and this is interesting, too, because this is the reaction when we were talking about the mother of Samson, when we were doing the series on Jesus is Greater, and we were looking at the wife of Manoah, when Manoah met the angel of the Lord, and, and it was proven to him that this was the angel of the Lord, his first thought was the same as Gideon's <laughs> thought right now, and his wife had to calm him down. But so the, the dudes, when, 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 when us guys meet the Lord face to face... The first thing we think is, now God's going to kill us, because <laughs> Gideon says, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And Gideon, not having a wife to stand there and go, hey, stupid, if God wanted us dead, we'd already be dead, because that's what Manoah's wife said to him, basically. So one of the interesting things, and this is this is totally Sam's imagination when I'm reading this passage, but one of the things that happens with the wife of Manoah is when the offering comes, the angel of the Lord goes into the offering and ascends and, and disappears in, in the flames. And it's like, holy cow, like, did did the Lord just throw himself into the flames of the burnt offering? Hmm. And then, which is looking forward to what he will ultimately do, right, when, mm-hmm. in Christ. Sure. So here, when it says the fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the offering, it's at that moment that the angel of the Lord vanishes from his sight. So whatever this physical appearance, the pre-incarnate Jesus that he's looking at, you know, because he's, he's got sight, right? Right disappears when the offering happens. And so you wonder if, if he disappeared into the fires and or whatever, because they'll still have this conversation. The Lord is still going to be talking to him. Sure. But now there's not a physical presence. And so there's something that when the offering happens, the angel of the Lord vanishes with the offering. And and I think what it's suggesting, my, my imagination, is that the Lord has gone into the offering. Mm. And I think it's looking forward to the day when the angel of the Lord will take on real flesh and he will be the offering for us. He's going to endure the flames of judgment and be consumed on the cross, in a sense, for our judgment. 
I do. I will admit that in my mind's eye, when I saw this encounter, as I was reading through it, I pictured, of course, Gideon doing what men do, which is like, oh, no, you know, alas, oh, Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And I I sort of imagined the angel, the Lord himself, you know, on his way back to heaven, like we vanished, we're on our way back up, like pausing and shouting back down to him, hey, <laughs> peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die, you know, like the Lord at about 35,000 feet shouting back down to the idiot. <laughs> You know, and I don't know. One of these days, I'm going to translate my own version of the Bible. We're going to have weird stuff like that in there. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And the angel of the Lord paused at about the ionosphere and yelled back to him, don't be an idiot. If you were out of your dead, you would have vanished, not me. You know, Um, but he does. He tells him to peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And then Gideon responded by building an altar. Hmm. Um, And he called the altar the Lord is peace which is an interesting name for an altar um but it does get through to the fact that the lord told him to be at peace um and it says this day still stands at ophrah which uh which belongs to the abizarites but the lord's not done talking to gideon here it says later that night the lord said to him take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold there with stones laid in due order, then sacrifice the bulls, do this burnt offering. And what struck me there as I was reading that, obviously, is Gideon is of the tribe of Manasseh. That means his father is also of the tribe of Manasseh. Mm-hmm. And this this man who was of the nation of Israel had an altar built to a false god i mean it's like he had an altar to baal there in the family and the asherah that's also a false god yeah and what you see here is it's not just his dad the whole place is just overrun with baal worship like what we're going to see and where the story goes the townspeople don't get upset that there's baal worship going on they get upset that gideon has tried to put an end to baal worship so it's a very pagan town. Israel had, or at least the northern tribe where he's at, has already been totally consumed with pagan worship. And I think part of the reason for that is uh, pagan worship in the ancient world was a lot more fun, <laughs> to, to put it mildly, um, than some of the things that God called on them to do. Because God, when he calls us to worship, he calls us to worship sacrificially, you know, to care for others, to, to deny selfish impulses. But when you worshipped Baal, I mean, you worshipped through things like orgies and things that were, let's face it, you know, they were a little bit easier to wrap your mind around. And so, of course, it's like still to this day, we want to create God in our own image Mm -hmm. rather than having to change our image to fit God's desires. And the same was true in the ancient world. And so they would chase after these pagan gods because oftentimes the worship of these pagan gods was a lot more fun. Yeah, And so it was easy to sell the people on it. You know, when when we talk about things like, you know, God is just a wish fulfillment of man. Man made God up. Like, you know, I could say that about a lot of human religion over yeah. the years. You couldn't say that about the Christian faith because no. it's so illogical from human terms. Like you say, the worship is we're called to worship sacrificially. You have a God who says, I am absolutely holy. There can be no unrighteousness in front of me, and therefore you can't stand here or you will literally fly apart at the molecular level. However, 
I will come and stand in your place. I will yeah. die for you. I will take the, and you, if you have faith, that's all I ask of you is to have faith in me. When you start to, to break that down, I'm like, what, what about that says to you, this is a man-made religion? It doesn't make any sense at all because yeah. a man-made religion is we get what's what we deserve. If you're a good guy, Sam, you live a good life, you're generally a good person, you deserve to be in heaven and get good things, and therefore, that's what you get. And if this guy over here, he's a bad guy and he's hurt people his whole life, he's a bad guy. And he deserves to be punished when he dies, and, then so, and that's the way it is. So if I'm designing a human religion, it's good boys go to heaven, bad boys go to hell, right? That's yep. the human religion. Absolutely. So, you know. So I do think that the, uh, that the Christian faith in general, one of the things that's always, to me, spoke to the truthfulness of this being from God is that it makes no sense to us humanly. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things the ancient world would do is to say, hey, this this person is also a god. You know, they would take their leaders like Pharaoh or, mm-hmm. you know, even the Caesars in the days of Rome. I mean, they were seen as the divine figures. And the reason why they would do that is so that they could get in on the territory of being able to tell people what to do. But the Hebrew scriptures and Christianity come along and they say, you will not hold anybody at the same level of God. And so, like, re- people will argue, you know, religion – is used to, and by the way, Christianity has some bad spots where Christian emperors or popes or whatever, you know, try to impose their will to control people as right. opposed to the scriptures, and things get ugly. And that's where Christianity's black eyes come from. But the teaching of the word, the teaching of Christ, is that He alone stands as the authority, and that we, you know, don't serve. We're free in the fact that He alone is our ultimate king mm-hmm. um that's it's just it's fascinating to me but like you said christianity stands apart in terms of like a, a religion that we would make up self-serving sure you know what what christianity calls its people to do like the apostles is to give away all their wealth to abandon their reputations to endure persecution and scorn to love other people like how is that <laughs> You know, it hey, ca- sign up for this. It kind of pokes a hole in the prosperity gospel, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. A little, little bit. So uh, so Gideon has been told, hey, tear down the altar of Baal, build an altar to the Lord, do this. Not just tear down any altar of Baal, but tear down your father's <laughs> altar to Baal. <laughs> build an altar to the Lord. And so it says Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. And I love this. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So the mighty warrior Gideon, carrying out the word of the Lord, did it by the cover of night because he was afraid. I, I'm going to tell you something, though, that to me, it kind of makes it endears this to Gideon to me just a little yeah. bit, you know, because yeah. I'm like, I know there have been times where I felt like God has said, I want you to do this, man. This is what this is what I got for you to do. I want you to do this. And yet it's like I always want to hedge my bet. What if I heard wrong? What if I'm doing this wrong? What if I'm, what if this, what if, what if, what if? And, and so I'm going to dip my toe in and, and not go in full force and non-committal. And I got to ask myself, and I hope everybody kind of asks yourself, what do you think would happen in our lives if we didn't do that? If when God told us to do something, we didn't second guess him. We just went all in. What if Gideon had marched out there in the daytime and torn down that altar? How could the story have have gone differently? Because yeah, you got to believe that God would have protected him and honored yeah. him. 
Yeah. But it would have been terrifying. I still give Gideon a lot of credit for doing it at night. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, it reminds me of the story of Jesus when Nicodemus, who's this really powerful figure who serves on the Sanhedrin, he's one of Israel's leading men, you know, he's really interested in learning more about Jesus, but he comes by night because he's terrified that other people might think that he's flirting with the idea of surrendering his life to Christ. And at the end of the story, we learn that Nicodemus is saved, and he comes and honors Jesus in the daytime to bury him. Mm-hmm. But I totally get that, man, where it's it's a little intimidating to live your faith out in bold ways in front of a watching world. But God still honors Gideon. He yeah. was obedient, even if he did it at night. It's it's more than anyone else in that town was doing. Yeah, and I don't mean to take. I mean, I don't mean to take I away hear you. from it. But I, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I wonder sometimes how it would be different. Yeah, and the, what happens next is a is a story that I really really love. It says when the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built, and they said to one another, "Who has done this thing?" <laughs> and after they had searched and inquired, I'm guessing they didn't have. To search long because people were like, did you see what Gideon did? They said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Yeah, I mean, the whole town, right? Everybody. And I love Joe Ash's response here because he says the one thing that's like you just it's one of those things where you you know that noise that the com that the, the cartoons always make when someone's brought up short that kind of record scratching you know it's like this is what I picture happened with the town they're in a an absolute furor and they're they're poking in Joe Ash and get get your boy out here it's time for him to die but Joe Ash said to all who stood against him and again I'm picturing in my mind's eye the town Will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. It's like, okay, okay. Pretty good case. Yeah. If, (laughs) If Baal is out there and Baal is upset, Baal knows where my son lives. (laughs) So good. It is. It is. a. It's great. I mean, yeah, none of your none of your counterfeit gods are going to speak up for you. They're not going to die for you. They have no ability. They're just powerless, and yet we serve them like they're the true and living God. And and this case by Joash is like, all right, go go ahead, Baal, speak up, <laughs> huh. even though it's his idol. So there's something going on with him here, you know, which is kind of cool. You know, and and you look at these two offerings. So the first one, when when Gideon is like, hey. Wait here, God. And he runs and goes and gets the stuff for the sacrifice, and then God sets it on fire, and the angel of the Lord vanishes. You know, that's like Gideon is saying to God, I want a sign from you. But then the second one, when when God comes back to Gideon and says, all right, I've given you the sign. Now I want something from you. And he says, you know, take take these bulls and go and tear these things down, and I want you to cut them down, build an altar, and light them up. You know, it's like God saying, okay, you know I'm serious. Now, Gideon, here's what I want from you. And even though Gideon does it by night, he still shows. He still does it. He's in. He's in. And it does come down to the men, you know, the, the people of the town were looking to string him up. His father said, <laughs> hey, let Baal do it. If Baal's upset about his altar, let Baal do it. And it says, uh, verse 32, therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam, which is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. 
that is kind of interesting because it was it was it was mocking it was just let Bale contend it's like Gideon if they're going to call Gideon Jerbale from now on that's going to be a way of reminding themselves that this was the guy that tore down the altar of Bale and Bale just didn't do it because he's not there he didn't do anything about it you know um, it says now all the Midianites in verse 33 and the Am- Amalekites and the people of the east came together that has to be a, an impressive army yeah we're and, told in chapter 8 this is 135,000 people oh my goodness and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and you know how the story ends don't you <laughs> I don't do you even have to read it yeah. I mean, it's like, as soon as you see that, it's like, oh, I know how this goes. Yeah. <laughs> and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizarites were called out to follow him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they, too, were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. And Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, this is the story I think everybody knows Gideon for, mm-hmm. if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Reminding God, you said this, Lord. You said you were going to do this. Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, which would have been the really the opposite of what you would have expected to find. You would expect mm-hmm. to find that there would be dew on the cold stone floor of the threshing floor and the fleece would be dry. That's what you would expect to find in right. that. So he's asking for God to reverse what should have naturally happened. If there's dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. <laughs> then you, you, okay. All right. I want you guys to picture this. You listening out there. You listening to this. You just called God out and God did an amazing thing. So what are you going to do? Let me tell you what Gideon did. <laughs> then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. That sounds like Abraham negotiating with God over Sodom, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on, and on all the ground. Let there be dew. And God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground there was dew. So... <laughs> You know, this is the story. This is this is Gideon and the 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 fleece. And so here's my question, Sam. Do you think this showed a lack of faith or do you think that it showed great faith? Because I have read people writing about this passage that have that have said both. They've said, you know, Gideon for Gideon to do this showed that he had faith in God, that God was going to do this for him, Mm -hmm. that God would do this. And other people have said this showed, you know, Gideon's little faith. And which way do you think it is? Was it was it much faith or little faith? I think he's got um, hungry faith. Okay, (laughs) where where he's it's like he's he knows the only hope is God. So it's like he doesn't he doesn't try to abandon it and go his own route. He knows he needs God, but he is he's so terrified that the Lord is not with him. And so it shows faith that he knows the only way he can be prosperous is to be with the Lord. But there's this insecurity of wondering, are you really with me? And I think that's something we can all relate to. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's, I absolutely believe, you know, my life and hope of heaven and everything else 
my only hope is if the Lord is with me. I, right. I, I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. So in that sense, yeah, I have faith. But then I walk in this world wondering, like, are you really with me? You know, yeah. are are you really going to come through here? Are you really going to stay true to your promise? And you know, intellectually, I, those those questions come. I mean, when you read the scriptures, you know the answer. But in our flesh, you know, we have those doubts. And so, I think Gideon, it's it's both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he he knows he needs God, but he feels totally unworthy. Like, are you really with me? Like. I'm having a hard time believing this, God. Can you be patient with me, please? Can you can you prove that you're with me? Do you know who I am? Do you know how incompetent, unworthy, whatever I am to lead this? Like, are you really with me? Because I don't want to do this if you're not with me. Hmm. I also was curious as I was reading through this, um, because it starts with him saying, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And we've, we've come across other verses in uh, Judges here that have talked about the Spirit of the Lord being with somebody or coming upon mm-hmm. somebody. But if, unless I'm unless I'm mistaken, I don't recall any other place where it says that the spirit of the Lord clothed someone. Hmm. And I I understand that there's you know there's was upon rushed upon was with and so forth. But there's obviously something different about the way that the spirit of the Lord interacted with Gideon. And to to some extent, it just to me when I think of something somebody being clothed, I think of somebody being wrapped up. And protected and and mm-hmm. and comforted, and to be not naked anymore, kind of thing. Um, I just see this as being a more intimate and kind coming of the spirit upon Gideon. Yeah. This is how yeah. I picture it in my mind. Yeah, I, I think I think that's right. And one of the other things is, and the the Bible tends to pick a theme and stick with it. And so, like the clothing, you know, the sign is going to involve a fleece. Um, one of Gideon's downfalls is going to be the creation of an ephod in, in chapter 8, which is also a covering, but it, it reveals some of Gideon's pride. And so, you know, for Gideon, coverings, whether it's a fleece or an ephod, become a big deal, and the Lord clothes him, and it's keeping that same theme, which may or may not be what it's what's intended. But I agree with you that the idea of clothing is... There is a tenderness to it, yeah. But but it's also you know like when I hear in the New Testament that we have been those who have been baptized in Christ are clothed with His righteousness. Mm-hmm. It just feels total. Yes. Like there's none of me showing. I, I'm just covered by Him. And so for for Gideon who is found at the beginning hiding in a wine press so that nobody could see him because he feels inadequate and scared. You know, now the Lord has come and clothed him. So what's what's the idea? When you look at Gideon, the reality is the Lord has covered him. Mm-hmm. So it's the Lord who's going to operate in this story with Gideon. Yeah. Which is, which is cool. Yeah. So after God proves himself to Gideon, twice, by the way, I just want to make you, just want to remind you that Gideon asked the... Well, you got three times because you got the, the thing being consumed with fire and then you got the two oh, fleeces. Oh, true. So, True. so he's he's Sorry. like, how, and again, and again. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, uh, Gideon was either the most foolish man alive, the luckiest man, or the bravest guy alive. I'm not sure what. I mean, to ask the if the, you know if the sovereign Lord of the universe were to manifest himself in front of me in a bodily form and in some way that absolutely showed me that this, in fact, is the angel of the Lord who's speaking to me. I don't think I would have the courage 
and the and the and the 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 whatever you know whatever part of it. I don't think I could ask him now. By, but before I do what you told me, yeah. I need you to do these three tricks for me. I need you to do some do some stuff for me just to prove that you you know I mean hey look anybody can can materialize and dematerialize out of thin air I mean anyone can do that anybody can make fire jump up from the rock and consume the wet meat and bread anyone can do that right you know uh, I'm like no I, I have a and, feeling that I couldn't do that and this like there's part of it so the people who say that this is not faith. You know, and, and the law of Moses and Deuteronomy, it says, you you know, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And this feels like that. I, I think it I think it is that I don't know how you get around it. Mm-hmm. So I've heard I've heard one commentator or read one commentator who talks about, you know, putting fleeces before the Lord. There's some Christianese for you. We steal from the story of Gideon yep. laying a fleece before the Lord is, is what that means. And it's I've heard them say that if the Lord has spoken definitively about something, do not put him to the test. Don't right. say, did you really mean, well, if you really mean it, show me by blah, 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 blah. Right. But, but if there is something going on in life where the Lord hasn't definitively spoken on it, like, should I take this job or not? And at the end of the day, everything's equal, you know, godly wisdom equal. You know, the scriptures don't speak to it. You know, all of those kinds of things. Then lay a fleece and say, okay, God, if you want this, then... I'll take this as a sign. Have you ever done that? Yeah, sure. Okay. I'm trying to remember. I have too. I have my story ready to go. (laughs) I can tell you. You go. I'll tell you my story. I mentioned that I worked in a software business in the late 1970s. My wife and I got married um, in 1985, and the, the business I was working for kind of kind of fell apart. Uh, just transitions in different technologies. So anyway, I was out of work and, um, I was I was home, you know, we we were running out of money. Uh we were newly married, we were living in an apartment in Sunrise. Uh Tracy had gone back to law school and we just we were coming against it. I had to actually had to borrow rent from my parents for one month, which we'd never we'd never had to borrow money from my parents before and we haven't borrowed anything from them since, but I actually had to borrow money from my mom one month to pay for the pay for the rent. That's how bad we were. We really didn't have the rent for our apartment. So, I'd been looking for a job and a friend of my mom's that uh, worked at Bethesda Hospital in Boynton Beach called. She worked in the data processing department, called my mom or told my mom. Anyway, I don't know if she called her, but she told her, hey, there's a job opening in our IT department. Maybe Mark could do this. I went to this job interview. I'm in the parking lot of Bethesda Hospital in Boynton Beach, and I'm sitting in the car with the motor running. And I, this is my prayer. I said, Lord. I just got to know if this is if this is the job you want me to have if this is what's going to happen lord if this is what it is I I don't just want it to be the right I want them to offer me the job right now cuz I've been told come in for an interview and they'll get back to you don't expect them to tell you they kind of gave me a, a a story of how the whole thing was going to go so I went in filled out the job application in HR came down to meet the the vice president of information systems had a great conversation with him we're walking he's walking me through the labyrinthian if you're inside a hospital if you've ever been in a hospital you know these things are mazes so he's walking me to the outside door so that he can let me out the exit nearest my car and the whole time he's not said a word to me to tell me whether he was going to hire me for this job or not. We got right to the door, Sam. I kid you not. We got right to the door and he stopped and looked at me and said, so when can you start? <laughs> Done. Done. Thank, thank <laughs> uh, you, Lord. You know, this will tell you how long ago this was. We had figured out that if, we, if I made $8 an hour, we could afford our rent and, and groceries and stuff. We could live on $8 an hour. 
Uh, that's just an indication of how long we've been married. So look at us. <laughs> anyway, uh, the job started at $11 an hour. Okay. So I got home. This is, this is the, the, this is the coda to the story. Hopefully people will laugh at this. I don't know if they will or not. My wife will laugh when she remembers this. If she listens to this podcast, <laughs> I came home and, and she said, so how did it go? And I said, I got the job. And she's like, <gasps> you know, she's so excited. And I said, but it wasn't for the money we, we hoped it would be. And my wife is, you know, my wife, she's a wonderful, wonderful person. And she's so encouraging and supportive to me. It's awesome. And she looks at me with this face that's just full of faith. She goes, it's all right. Somehow we'll make it. We'll make it, honey. I said, we'll we'll make it. We'll find a way. We'll we'll tighten up on stuff. This is my wife. It's how she is, you know. And of course, I I said, no, it's not $8 an hour, honey. It's $11 an hour. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fun moment. It was a fun moment. And she just about strangled me. And I deserved it. Uh, And it was a great moment. But she was giving me a hug and strangling me at the same time. Uh, But that's the only time in all that I can think of in my entire life where I've thrown out a fleece like that. And and I, I feel like the Lord came through. You know, I mean, it turned out to be a great job. I got to work for a guy named Bill Stewart, who is the vice president, vice president of information systems, who I respected and admired and really liked him. It was, I, I love, I worked there for years. I loved that Hmm. place. Uh, I was born in that hospital, you know, it's like, and, uh, but that was, that's, so that's my fleece story. Yeah. There's been so many times I can look back at my life and, and see stories that are just, you know, encouragements from the Lord. I remember one time when Laura and I were in ministry and we were, flying through savings. She was working as a receptionist. I was working as a teacher. All the savings that I had when we'd gotten married were flying out the door. And we, same thing. We were tightening up. We were trying to figure something out. We went out to dinner and we're like, we're going to have to cancel phones and everything else. And on the way home, we went to a, a gas station. And back in the days, it was $4 a gallon. But when they programmed the machine, the the tank or whatever it is, they reversed it, and so it was four gallons for a dollar. And so I filled up my tank, and it was for like four dollars, and I, the, it should have been for like sixty dollars. And so I went into the the cashier, and I was like, um, "Your machine is wrong." And he got upset with me, thinking I was complaining about the price, and I couldn't explain to him, "No, I want to pay you more." Like he just wasn't having it. And so we left. And the whole point of our conversation was, "Are we going to be able to afford staying?" In ministry, am I going to be able to stay as a teacher? Mm. And we get home, and there's a message on the answering machine, and it was from a guy who I love, who's a dear friend of mine, and he said, "Hey, my wife and I have we have this house that we bought as an investment. We're looking to give it to somebody who's either in ministry or teaching at the school. And uh, well, we thought of you and Laura, and we'd like to give you the house and all of the lawn and all the bills included for nine hundred dollars a month if that works for you." <laughs> and this was in in the Coral Ridge area, right? Yeah, in the Coral Ridge area. So it was so probably it was, nice, it was probably three thousand oh, dollars a month worth of stuff. Uh, it was it would, would have been way more than that, but it was like salvation in that moment. And it's like you remember, you know, talking with Lauren. I was like, well, I guess we're staying. You know, <laughs> and it was like on the same day. And then, by the way, like three days later, the the finance director at the school called me down and said that they had a processing error where I didn't get the raise processed in my check for the previous 18 months. And the money that came from that paid for my transmission plus $40. So the Lord didn't hit it right to the dollar, and I don't know what the extra $40 was. (laughs) But, I mean, he just took care of us. In a week, everything was settled. And it was like such an encouragement, you know, such a – just 
a tender encouragement to say, hey, I see you and your ministry is value to, valuable to me. Keep going. And I know I put my skeptic hat on for a minute. I know there's people that will hear both of us tell those stories and go, that's you guys are just, you know, you're just putting stuff together. And you got to understand, look, I'm, you know, I'm 60 years old, right? And I've had moments where improbable things have happened in my life. If you lived as long as I have, you have seen improbable things happen. But there's there's something different about one of those moments where the Lord puts something in your path for you that way. You know, with that job at Bethesda, you with the story here of the house and and the, the retroactive raise money. You know, there's just – it's like the, there's something about the timing, about the delivery of it, about the way that it happens that you just know it's from the hand of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you believe in the sovereignty of God, everything, not just the good things, everything is from the hand of God. And so whether it's whether it's a blessing like that that just seems supernaturally, you know, sovereignly ordained for that moment or it's something bad, you know, what what's such a precious thing is whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you believe that it comes from the hand of a sovereign God who is good and loves you. And so it lets you either get through the bad thing knowing that he's in control of it. Or it lets you just praise him for his kindness because he's sovereign over every single moment of that story mm-hmm. and bringing all those things together. And so what a comfort to know that there's never a moment in your life in which the sovereign God who's over all things, who loves you, is in control. So we have the story of Gideon that's, that we talked about before as we got started. It was three chapters long. And I feel like we're kind of at a good a good stopping point here. Why don't we let that sort of stand as our last word, and we'll pick back up and, and make this a two-parter. Okay, that sounds good. We still got two chapters to go. That makes sense. <laughs> it's a you know people right now are probably calling for mercy. Yeah, they probably they, they, <laughs> they're looking. There's two more chapters to go. Two, that's it. Are, are these guys going to talk all afternoon? So, <laughs> so uh, we will we will pause at this point and pick up the story of Gideon uh, in our next episode. We hope that you've enjoyed your time with us. That it's been profitable for you that you've found something that resonates with you in there uh, if you want to tell us your own fleece story or communicate with us in any way uh, we've got an email address which is out of water at rio vista church.com that's r-i-o vista church.com uh, which is the website where you can also find all the back episodes of out of water by going to our website at rio vista church.com slash out of water or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, or on Spotify, or on our Rio Vista Church smartphone app. So just look for Rio Vista Community Church in the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can find out about this podcast, find out sermons and messages, all kinds of stuff about the church is packed with information, uh, keeps you up to date on, on, on what's going on. But Sam and I will be back next time with the rest of Gideon's story, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.